three weeks ago, we started a journey that, to be honest with you, wasn't the plan. This was not supposed to turn into an entire series about forgiveness. It was supposed to be a one-hit message. I was going to come back with some other topics. And the first message hit such a nerve with people that we've just kind of hung out on this topic of forgiveness, and we're going to hang out there this week, and we're actually, believe it or not, we're going to hang out there next week. Next week, I'm going to answer probably the second most asked question that you've been asking me. Today, I'm going to answer the first question. The second question is, how do I know if I've forgiven someone? I think I've forgiven them. I feel like I've forgiven them. But something comes along, something happens, something gets mentioned. I run into someone and I have these feelings. And is it because I have these feelings mean I haven't forgiven them? Or does it mean I have forgiven them and that's just part of it? So we're actually going to break that down next week, wrap up the series with a nice little bow and talk about how do we know we've forgiven someone. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about the person in your life who needs your forgiveness. We've been talking about the fact that you do not forgive that person for them. You forgive that person for you. In a lot of ways, forgiveness is selfish. It benefits us. It's the greatest gift you can give yourself. It's the Christmas season. It's the season of giving. Tis the season to forgive. Tis a season to give yourself the gift of contentment, peace, to, to get go of that ball and chain we've been talking about that you carry around, carrying around that thing that affects you emotionally, relationally. It affects you physically. It affects you spiritually. We talked about all of that stuff in week one. And everybody said, man, that sounds really good, and I get it. It's affecting me, and I understand that, but how do we let go of it? We covered that in week two. Last week, I took you step by step on how you forgive the person who has wronged you. We talked about how we can't do it in the natural. It's a supernatural thing. You can only do it with the power of God running through your vein. It's a God thing. Forgiveness is, in every sense of the word, a God thing. And, and, and today, though, I want to get even a little more selfish because we talked about forgiveness is for ourselves. But as I was standing at the, apparently I call that the back door, and everybody says that's the front door. In my mind, this is the front of the church, and that's the back of the church. It's whatever I want to call it, I'm the pastor. Amen. Stage is always in the front, facing out to the back, whatever that door is. I'm standing back there, minding my own business. Somebody came out, and they asked me a question normal question, question I've heard kind of often but didn't really think about it. Two people walked out of the church, the third person came out, asked me the exact same question. About four people left the church, someone else came out and said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. And they asked me a question, it was the exact same question the other two people have asked me. A few minutes later, someone came and said, hey, before you leave, can I ask you a question? I said, is this the question you want to ask me? How do you know? I said, because everyone has been asking that question. And the question is this. Gary, I get forgiving those who wronged me. I get now how it affects me. And as hard as it is, I, I think I can do it. I think I can take the steps necessary to forgive the person who has wronged me. But I've got to ask you a question. How... Do I forgive myself? How do I forgive myself of the guilt, the shame, the disappointment, the hurt that I feel myself because I've wronged people in my life? And just like everyone else, man, I can relate to that. I, I can relate to all the people who've hurt me. I get it. We need to forgive people. And i got to be honest with you, that's kind of, as I've matured and I've grown a little bit, that gets a lot easier for me. But in my life, the hardest person to forgive is not some idiot out there who's trying to destroy me. Not somebody 
from my past who said horrible things about me. Not somebody who's ripped me off or hurt me. They say time heals all wounds, and and I've kind of learned that as time goes on, I implement those steps, I get to the point where I get sick of carrying around that, that ball and chain, and I get to the point where I can forgive those people. But hands down, not even close in my life, the hardest person to forgive is myself. Anybody relate to that today? Anybody be honest and say they relate to that today? Go take a seat. I have done things in my 43 years on this earth that have hurt a lot of people. I have done things in my life that have cost me everything. And and you know what's crazy? The hardest thing in the past wasn't losing everything. It wasn't losing friends. It, it, It wasn't losing money. It wasn't having to start over. The hardest thing was knowing that good people who I loved were hurt because of my actions. Some of them to never darken the doors of a church again because I did things that hurt them. I have recently hurt people. We don't mean to hurt people, but we hurt people. I've hurt my kids, and I've hurt my wife, and I've hurt friends, and, and I've had business dealings with people that went sideways, and I was to blame, and I no longer have a relationship with those people. And there's just times in life where you hurt people, and the guilt sometimes can overwhelm you. The guilt sometimes can overtake you. Just this week, We had something brought up in our life by random people that we have no clue who they were talking about something that Christine and I dealt with years ago. The information that these people were saying was not even accurate. But immediately, the guilt swelled up in me. Because I had put my family in a situation years ago for this to be brought up today And what's crazy is, Christine and I have worked through it. She didn't give it a second thought. She brushed it off. She moved on this week. But I felt that guilt that it even had to be addressed. It affected me for about a day and a half. So I did what any good person would do when they're feeling guilty and they're feeling angry at themselves. I took it out on Christine and we fought. Ain't that stupid? I started it because you you just feel this self-loathing. You feel this frustration. You feel like, man, this is never going to move on. I feel horrible, so let me make it better. Let's fight. (laughs) By the way, that didn't make it better (laughs) at all. So it's horrible. Forgiving yourself is hard. I've made financial decisions in the past that were stupid. Somebody say amen. And ain't it funny you think you make a financial decision today and five years later it comes back to affect you? I've had a lot of situations in my life where I've come to Christine and said, hey, I got an idea. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of those ideas have worked. And a lot of those ideas, I think it was Chris I was talking to before the service, have left me going through some months where it's like, I wonder if ramen noodles are on sale this month. (laughs) You put your family in a weird position. You hurt them. And they've forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself. You can't forgive yourself for how you've affected your kids or how you've affected different relationships, and you deal with this crazy guilt. As much of a grudge holder as I am, I find it so much easier to forgive others than it is to forgive myself. (laughs) The people who've wronged me, I can move on and not let them live in my head, but guess what? I have to live in my head. 
And if I'm not processing and walking the way I should be walking, I have this internal battle taking my place in my mind over and over and over, and we beat ourselves up on how stupid we were, who we hurt, and who we're still hurting. The fact is nobody can beat ourselves up like we can. And the reality is in a room this size, there's a lot of you right now and you're living life less than God intended you to live it because you can't function day to day because you've forgiven those who wronged you, but you can't give yourself the greatest gift ever, forgiveness for yourself. You can't reach down and take that ball and chain off. Matter of fact, when God tries to, to take it off, you stop him and put it back on. Maybe you went through a rebellious period in your life and you live with the guilt of it. Maybe you physically hurt someone and you live with the guilt of it. Maybe you said something and man, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me was a liar. You said something, you know you can never take it back and you feel guilt about what came out of your mouth. Maybe, I, I, I don't know, maybe you strayed in your marriage, maybe you had, you, you had an abortion when you were young. There was someone who came to me this week and said, man, I did this when I was 16. They're almost 50 now. And they said, I think about it every single day. Carrying around unforgiveness for your own life. Maybe you didn't stop something bad from happening that you knew was going to happen and it affected people and you're living with the guilt of that. Maybe you let your family down. Maybe your choices and actions left a lot of people hurt. Maybe you let yourself go physically and now you're dealing with all kinds of ailments and you know there's no one to blame. I was dealing with someone recently in that area. They had smoked their entire life. They'd been given less than a year to live because of lung cancer and he couldn't even enjoy his last year because of the guilt. I kept saying, man, you're focusing on the guilt. But if I'd have stopped and now my kids are going to be hurt and now I'm this. And I said, but the guilt. He let himself go. Maybe you weren't there enough for your kids, and you feel guilt. Maybe we could go on and on all day long. I don't know what it is today, but you do. It's already popped into your mind. You know what's affecting you. And here's what you need to understand today. You will never live the life. You will never live the life. You will never live the life God wants you to live. Until you release yourself of the hurt you've caused others. Let me give you a news flash today. It sucks to hurt others. It's painful to hurt others. But there's nothing you can do about it. You can't go back in a time machine. You can't go back and change it. But they won't forgive me. You're not responsible. The Bible says every man must give an account of himself. You can't force someone to forgive you. They can live with the ball and chain. I can forgive myself when they forgive me. Then you might not ever forgive yourself and you're allowing them to keep you imprisoned. I've got people in this town who will never, ever, ever, it doesn't matter what I do, Forgive me of things I've done. What's those said I see it on Facebook? Every hero's, a, every hero's a villain in somebody's book. Rightfully so. There's just some things you can never undo, but you can forgive yourself if you realize some things along the way. There's a great story in the New Testament about a dude named Peter, and I love Peter, because Peter would have fit in really good at Action Church. Peter was just a blue-collar guy. He was a fisherman. He was a rough dude, had a foul mouth. Matter of fact, when they came to take Jesus, he pulled out a sword and chopped off one of the guy's ears. Peter was just one of those guys who, who did first and thought later. Didn't always line up necessarily so great. But here's the amazing thing about Peter. Peter was one of the 12 chosen by Jesus to follow him everywhere. Not only was Peter one of the 12... He was one of the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John. 
Not only was he in this circle, he was the number one guy. He was Jesus' right-hand man. He was the closest to Jesus of any of the 12. Yet again, showing that Jesus does not always look for the most qualified by our standards. He looks for those that are the most available. But Peter screwed up. And Peter screwed up in a big, big way. In Luke 22, Jesus has been taken into custody and he's about to be crucified. And a large crowd has gathered around to see them, to see this happen. And hiding in the crowd of thousands of people is Peter. He's watching Jesus. The man he's followed, the man's teachings, who he believed in, the man he had bragged arrogantly that he would never forsake. But he's hiding now because he's fearful that if they realize he's Peter... They'll take him into custody. And he's worth they take him into custody. He's going to end up like Jesus, hanging on a cross, being crucified for his transgressions. But he's Peter. He's followed Jesus everywhere. Thousands of people knew Jesus, and thousands of people knew Peter. And Peter's hanging out in the crowd. He's probably got a cloak over his head. He's probably trying to to be real low and not be seen. I remember... When I went through some things in my past and I still had to go out in public and go to functions because my kids were there, I knew people were going to be there. It was funny. I always put a ball cap on. I'd always put a jacket on. I would just always kind of try to lay low because I didn't want to be seen at those times. And I imagine that's how Peter is right here. But somebody notices Peter. They see him in the crowd and they call out to him and say, Hey, you're one of the followers of Jesus. And at this moment, Peter is faced with a decision. He can either acknowledge Jesus and probably be taken into custody, or he could deny knowing him altogether. Then seizing him, they led him away. Luke 22, verse 54, says Jesus. And took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Some of you are following at a distance right now. It's a whole sermon right there. When things were good, Peter was right by his side. When they were healing people and raising the dead and feeding those that didn't have food and causing the blind to see and the lame to walk, and they were getting all the attention, guess what? Peter was right there. And some of you, that's how you treat God. When things are good and things are great and your marriage is good and your finances are good and your kids are good, boy, I love me some Jesus. But when it gets rough, if things start to fall apart, you drift back and follow from a distance. Mm, That ain't even a sermon. We could go home right now for that. Peter followed out a distance, verse 55. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Now he's not even following from a distance. He's denying him altogether. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them. Man, I am not. Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And you understand, Jesus already told Peter he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. He, he said, before the sun comes up, you'll deny me. Because Peter was being big time. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. They're going to take you, man. I got your back, Jesus. I'm ride or die, baby. And Jesus like, no, you'll deny me three times. Peter got offended by this. Here's the prophecy coming true. Three times he could have stood for Jesus, 
Three times he denied Jesus. Now you're talking about a man who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, did life with Jesus, saw the ministry of Jesus. If there was anybody who knew the awesomeness of Jesus Christ, it was Peter. But when it came time to stand on his own two feet, he denied even knowing him because he was looking out for number one. Imagine the guilt he felt. Imagine the pain that he felt. <laughs> Peter probably did not know what you're talking about just as he was speaking the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Wow. Wow. Boom, I told you. I'm on trial and I already knew. Boom, I'm going to find you in the crowd. You ever been in a crowd and you can just tell someone sees you? Then Peter remembered the Lord had spoken the words the Lord has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. Look at verse 62. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He knew he had screwed up. He didn't need anybody to tell him he had screwed up. Somebody say amen to that. Don't you hate when you screw up and someone's like, hey, you screwed up? No, Really? Didn't know that. Just lost everything. Living in my Cherokee. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Encourager. You want to talk about guilt. I mean, imagine what Peter's feeling as this goes down. He's the one. Of all the disciples, he's the one closest to Jesus. He saw everything firsthand. For God's sake, he walked on water. They're in a boat. A storm comes. Jesus comes out. Peter says, if that's you, let me walk on water. He got out of the boat in the middle of the storm, and he walked on water. And yet now he's denying even knowing him. When they came to take Jesus, the other ten disciples, because remember Judas is with them, so that was the one, they all kind of cowered. Peter pulled out a sword and cut a soldier's ear off. And just a day later, he's denying him. You would think if anybody was going to stand for Jesus, it would be Peter. But the time comes, and he didn't. And Jesus told him he wouldn't. And the guilt has set in. Now he's about to watch Jesus be crucified and killed and die for the sins of the world. And Peter's living with the guilt that I'm not even a man enough to stand up for this man. This man who was flawless. This man who was perfect. This man who never did a wrong thing. And I denied him. <laughs> man. Standing there in the courtyard walking from this. You know him. Woman, I don't know him. Strike one. Surely you're with him. We've seen you. Man, I don't know him. Ain't that funny? Because we all, when we hurt someone, we always try to turn it on them. Man, are you crazy? Strike two. He's a Galilean. He knows him. Man, you are crazy. I don't know him. Strike three. Verse 22, verse 62. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter was broken. Peter was destroyed. Peter was devastated. The burden of guilt on him must have been insurmountable, and he didn't even know how to continue functioning. And here's the reality. We've all been where Peter was. There's not a person here today who hasn't lived with some type of guilt. There's not a person here today who doesn't know they hurt somebody with their actions. And chances are someone really close to them and someone they love greatly. And they destroyed that person. They hurt that person. And now they live with the guilt of what they did to that person. No one had to tell Peter he had blown it. He knew it. He went outside instantly. 
and he wept bitterly. He had done the one thing he would have rather died than do. But he's selfish, and we're all selfish. And we all do things to hurt people. And I don't even know that it's in our intentions to hurt those people always. But we hurt them. My wife says, I have a horrible time saying I'm sorry. And it's what's weird, I don't really have a hard time saying I'm sorry on like big things. But like last night, we're in the bed and I lift up my leg and I kick her. And she's like, you just kicked me, it hurt. I'm like, why is your leg there? She's like, can you just not say you're sorry? I didn't mean to. Yeah, I don't think you meant to kick me, but you did kick me. When you don't mean to do something, you say you're sorry. Oh. And apparently, the rumor is, I'm passing this down to Luke. Like Luke can slam Emily's finger in the door by accident, and he's not going to say he's sorry because it was an accident, and we're trying to teach him that. And Tristan's like, how can you teach him that when you do the same thing? So we don't always mean to hurt people. Peter's living here with this guilt. And I just can't imagine the guilt that he felt. And then, I don't know about you, but for me, guilt turns to anger. That's what happened this week. It turned to anger. It's been a long time since I was angry. I think it was Wednesday, so I was on tilt. Like, you ever just woke up and you're angry? Like, man, they preach it over there. Ain't nobody done anything to you. Ain't nobody looked at you wrong. Ain't nobody said it to you. Like, like here's the deal. I'm so angry I go to the gym. Now, here's the deal. I'm kind of weird at the gym because, man, like, there's a lot of people. That's just not my domain. Okay? So, like, I'm normally kind of Mr. Submissive guy to muscle head guy. I'm like, oh, I'll work yourself in. I'll get there in a minute. And I'm working out, and I go to my machine. This guy was on my machine. I said, I was using that. I got a couple more. I said, no, I have one more, so I need you to get up. And like instantly, I could tell he looked. And instantly, I'm thinking, I said, what are you doing? And literally, this is what thought him. I said, this is kind of a big dude. Now, just because he's big doesn't mean he can fight. But if he comes at me, I'm just going to headbutt him right on the bridge of his nose, bust his nose open. But I don't really care today because I want to finish my workout. Huh, sorry, sir. I mean, I guess I must have looked so mad that my fat self out there at the gym, he just walked away. Like sometimes you're just in a bad mood. I came home, I was in a bad mood. I mean, I was in a bad mood about everything. It's because, man, I was dealing with guilt that my family was dealing with something that was my fault from years ago, and I was just beating myself up about it. So you can imagine the anger that Peter's feeling. He's feeling like a failure. Have you ever felt like a failure? Oh, that's the worst feeling in the world. It was something that was eating away at Peter so much That he literally got to the point, don't miss this, he was ready to walk away from his faith. He was done. I think John sums up Peter's frame of mind the best. Look what he says. Peter said, I'm going out to fish. Now, some of you like Jeff Water, like, that's what I do, I go fish. (laughs) Sounds great. He wasn't going out to fish for recreation. That was his job before he met Jesus. He was saying, I'm done with this, man. I'm returning to my old ways. I'm done with this Jesus stuff. Man, I'm not worthy of this Jesus stuff. I, this isn't my thing. I'm going back to what I used to be, man. I'm going back to fish. There, there's nothing left for me here. I'll go back to my old job. I failed the Lord. I feel guilty about it. I can't forgive myself. Where do I go from here? What do I do now? Man, I guess I'll just go fish. Go back and work the boats. Go back and try to make some money. <laughs> I, I believe he was replaying that tape over and over and over and over and over and over in his mind. And the thought of the Lord forgiving him was something Peter couldn't comprehend because he couldn't comprehend himself. But I love what happens next. While Peter's dealing with all this guilt, Jesus does what he says he's going to do, which is uh, die on a cross and then uh, not stay dead come back to life, walk around town like the pimp he is because he just killed death, and he's walking around. He rolls up on Peter fishing. 
Imagine what Peter thought. Well, He's so mad at me, he came back to life. That's what I would have thought. Peter comes off the shore, and Jesus is sitting there cooking some fish. What's up, P? Made some breakfast for you. Peter's like, hmm. That kind of happened to me this week. Christine, we were going through her going through, and she's being all cool, calm, and collected. It got me panicky. I'm like, what's her move? Like, is she being cool? Where I go in a deep sleep night, she kills me in my sleep? Like, I know my wife has grown and she is mature, but she ain't, she ain't matured like this. Is she trying to get my guard down? What's she doing? Is she going to accidentally run over me when I'm in the parking lot? Like, what's the move here? That had to be what Jesus was thinking. He put some uh, antifreeze in that fish. Just sit down and have some fish. You, you was dead last time I saw you. This is how I replay it all in my head. It's like a cinematic movie. You want to eat some of that fish? He probably tried to be cool and be like, you got any cornbread with that? I mean, he's trying to play up, but no one, he's nervous. The Bible says when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. That was Peter, by the way, Simon. He had a bunch of names. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because the Lord had asked him the third time. But he wasn't hurt with Jesus. He was hurt with himself because he knew he's asking him three times because he denied him three times. And he was disappointed in himself that Jesus even had to ask that question because he knew he'd put himself in a situation to have to have that question asked. Don't miss that. The guilt of his mistake was now before him. He wasn't irritated that Jesus was saying, do you love me three times? He, he was frustrated with himself because he's like, man, I, I deserve this. <laughs> do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus letting Peter know, you're forgiven. Now go do what I called you to do. You can live in your sin. You can live in your muck. You can live in your mire. You can live in your disgrace. Or you can forgive yourself and get busy living. Is it Shawshank Redemption where it says get busy living or get busy dying? I don't know what it is, but that's a great line. And some of you are busy dying. You're wasting the only life you have because you can't forgive yourself of what you did to your kids, to your spouse, to your parents, to your relatives, to whoever it is, to a co-worker, to an ex-girlfriend, to an ex-wife, to whoever it is. God says, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a purpose for your life. I've got a calling for your life. If I was done with you, I'd already taken you home. I've left you here and you're not doing crap because you're feeling sorry for yourself over a mistake you made. I forgave you years ago. He as a matter of fact, I forgave you the moment you did it. But you can't forgive yourself. That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. I've been listening to this black preacher lately. Some black, they can get with it. But a white one's getting to do it today. It's time to forgive yourself. You say, Gary, that sounds great. How do we do that? I'm going to be real quick because I'm hungry. Then we're going to get out of here. That's another thing that you'll never hear in a black church. I'm going to be real quick. They'll go to like 2.30 in the afternoon. First thing we're going to do is we're going to realize that everyone screws up. You're trying to forgive yourself. You're feeling guilty. You're feeling bad. Shut up. You ain't special. Everyone screws up. It's so simple, yet it's so huge. It's the height of arrogance to think. I won't screw up. I won't mess up. I'll never let anybody down. I'll never hurt anybody. <laughs> now listen, accepting that everyone screws up doesn't give me a license to screw up. 
But the fact of the matter is there isn't one person in this room who hasn't screwed up, who won't screw up, or isn't screwing up right now. There's only been one person who ever lived a perfect life on the face of this earth, and his name was Jesus, and you are not him. Everyone screws up. The Bible says in Romans 3, 10, it is right, and there is none righteous. Let me break that down for you in the original language. There is no one righteous. You know what that word no one means? It means no one It doesn't mean one in a million is righteous. It means no one is righteous. There is no one righteous, not even one. We're all screwed up. We all mess up. There's nobody here who's perfect. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all. You know what that word all means in the original language? It's an amazing word. It means all. Gary, you don't get very deep. You don't get deep enough. I wish you would break down the original language. That word all means all. Have means they have done it. All have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all screwed up. We're all screw-ups. Hey, turn to the person next to you and say, man, you are a screw-up. Turn to the person on the other side of you saying, you are definitely a screw-up. When you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself... Don't miss this. When you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself, what you're telling yourself is you are on par with God. That you're perfect and don't need forgiveness. You're holding yourself to an expectation of perfection and it cannot be met. You're bound for disaster because it's impossible to live your life in a perfect way. I always tell people, you're never going to find the perfect church. And if you find it, don't nobody here join it because it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) There ain't no perfect spouse. Man. (laughs) Now, you can get close. Like Christine got me. Or I got her. There's nobody perfect. As perfect as that woman seems... She still snores like a freight train in the middle of the night. 99.99% perfect. Until she's snoring like a demon's coming out of her mouth. And I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight, so it won't matter. I won't have to hear that. I don't talk a lot about my past, but, but you know, I've thought a lot about it over the last 10 years. You know the biggest reason I think I screwed up? Because I thought because I, I was a pastor, I was above screwing up. Legitimately. I thought I was above screwing up. I, I, I'm not saying this is going to sound so arrogant. So I'm not, I'm not saying this in a bragging way. I'm saying it, and this is where I was 10 years. I thought... God knows what I'm doing. I'm 33 years old. I just got named the 14th fastest growing church in America. People all over the country bring me in and pay me a lot of money to speak to their church and to speak to their leaders. I, I say it joking now, but I used to, I meant it back then. I'm like, I'm Gary Lamb. Like, l- l- this is what I thought. God, God needs me. You know what God told me about not needing me? He booted me, and that church has quadrupled in size in the last 10 years, and he said, yeah, we needed you gone. <laughs> like, I got bored this week. I started a church when I was 21 years old in Iowa. So I was like, I wonder if that church is still around. I logged into Ames, Iowa. It's about 50 acres. It's built like some $10, $15 million building. They're like, yeah, we needed you to get out of town where we could grow. The pastor who took over me still there t- 15 years later. I remember thinking this. This is how Eric, I was like, this idiot will shut this place down and it'll make me look great because I started it. Still thriving. And God's got a way of humbling you. Hum- Man, I hate being humbled. <laughs> Man. So many people hurt because I thought I was above the rules and couldn't mess up because I was a pastor. Now listen to me, I believe pastors ought to be held to a higher standard, but I also believe pastors are still human. And they mess up. We still have the same struggles. Pastors' wives still have the same struggles, and 
You have the same struggles. And guess what? Even the person, if you look around this room and you think, man, who's the most godly person in this room? Guess what? Even Tanya May still has troubles. I've seen her one time ever on a cruise, saw her get mad and snap at Phil and kind of say a bad word. I was like, what just happened? And I realized even Tanya May is not perfect. How do we forgive ourselves? We realize that not everybody's perfect. And I know that sounds so simple. But it's life-changing. Because when I realized that nobody's perfect, it took the burden off my shoulders of thinking I had to be perfect. I have people tell me all the time, man, I, I can't believe you get away with what you get away with at that church. Like some of my best friends that are like, how do you get away with saying this and saying that? And you just do whatever. And I said, you know what? I don't live anymore with the burden of putting on airs. I'm just me. And if people don't like it, they'll leave. And good God almighty, they've left. You guys are crazy enough at this moment to stay. When you realize you don't have to be perfect, it's one of the most freeing things in the world. And guess what? This book is full of people who screwed up. Most of the people that God used in this book wouldn't even be allowed to serve in most churches today. Wrap your mind around that for a minute. Think about this Moses, who many people believe outside of Jesus was the greatest leader ever. He killed a dude. Killed a dude for no valid reason with his bare hands. You gotta be a little bit off if you can snap a dude's neck for no reason. But Moses did it. Samson, he was born with the covenant before God to be the mightiest warrior ever. And he loved women more than he loved the covenant. Screwed up. David, had, David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, had an affair, then killed the lady's husband to cover up the affair. This is a book of screwed up people. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, murdered Christians for a living. That was his job. Peter, in our text today, denies even knowing Jesus. I've said this before. Nothing makes me chuckle more and shows me how arrogant people are than when they visit our church for the first time and they walk in, they're like, roof didn't cave in, I thought it would. And I would look at them and think, you think you're that bad? Yeah, tough guy, okay. Yes, you're so horrible that the roof will cave in. Don't flatter yourself, go have a seat and enjoy the service. This book, man, puts us to shame in our mess-ups. Quit holding on to something you can't control, and you can't control the hurts you caused in the past. Second thing, we're going to remember that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Let me sling this on you, 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Psalm 65, 3, when we were overwhelmed by sins, overwhelmed with our sin. You forgave our transgressions. Acts 13, 30, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We all sin. There's never been anybody who ever lived who hasn't sinned. We accept that. 
We understand that. We realize we're all sinners, but, but, there, but there's a problem for our sin. There's a problem. Because we screw up, because we mess up, there's a problem. There's a payment due for our sin. There's a consequence to every action. There's a consequence. There's a payment due for our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin, that's the payment, is death. You need to understand something. That's not talking about a physical death. That's talking about a spiritual death separated from God. So because we're sinners, don't miss this, because I lifted Jeff a minute ago and said we're all sinners, it's all cool. I didn't say it was all cool. I said we're all sinners. There's a payment for our sin, and it's death, separation from God. Debbie Downer all of a sudden. Because of our sin, we're separated from the holiness of God. So a payment has to be made. And guess what? You can't afford that payment. So let me encourage you. You owe something, and you can't pay it. That's a horrible feeling. You owe something. Payment for your sin. You can't pay it. You can't work it off. You can't be good enough to take care of it because the only thing good enough is perfection. And you sure ain't perfect. I sure ain't perfect. You can't go to the right church. Your good deeds can't outweigh your bad deeds because trust me, they never will. So because we all screw up, there's a payment due for our sin. Oh, but that's not the rest of the verse. I told you for six years I want to do a series called Light Big Butts and I Cannot Lie. But... But, that's a good but. Any butt men out there? Any butt women? Don't raise your hand, please. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> because of our sin, we're separated from God. So a payment has to be made. Our sin payment required someone perfect to make that payment. And God sent his only son, Jesus, who lived 33 perfect years. And he died on a cross, and he paid a debt he did not owe. And we owed a debt we could not pay, and he paid that debt for us. You are forgiven. And what a slap in the face of God. That he forgives us of our sins. That he sends his only son to pay the price for our sins. And you don't have the nerve to forgive yourself. Something is wrong. Someone who's truly forgiven doesn't want those who hurt them to carry around unforgiveness. Jesus the same way. He says, you're forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, I have forgiven you of your sins. Why do you not forgive yourself? <laughs> he has no desire for us to live an imprisoned life. He wants us to live a life forgiven. It's funny. We, those that carry around unforgiveness love to see you suffer. I still run to people who can't stand the fact that I've moved on in life. I just moved on. It's been 10 freaking years. I remember when I lost everything 10 years ago, I went about four or five months. I went about four months without working. Amazing thing happened. My bill collectors did not care that I had screwed up my life. So I went to work, and I remember everybody immediately, he didn't even care. Look at him. He's back working. He's moved on. Am I supposed to curl up in a little fetal position at 33 years old and die? Your screw-up is an event, not a person. You can't go back in time. I can't go back in time and change everything. But since we're forgiven, we can forgive ourselves and move on. Third thing we've got to do. So we've got to remember Jesus paid the price. We've got to return to Jesus. Here's something that I've learned about myself as I've gone through times of unforgiveness. Usually during these times where I can't forgive myself, don't miss this. Usually these times where I can't forgive myself is when 
I'm where I shouldn't be. It's where I, when I'm not where I should be with Jesus. When I'm not walking with Jesus. When I'm not in the word with Jesus. When my prayer life is not what it should be. Jesus wants to be first in our lives. Yet we tend to push him to the back of our lives. Peter had done this. He said, I'm going fishing. I'm walking away. He, he, he had already been to the tomb. He'd seen the tomb was empty. Listen, when he says he's going fishing, he's already been to the tomb and seen the tomb was empty. But the guilt over him, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm no longer hanging on to the promises that Jesus is coming back. Instead of looking for Jesus, who obviously had risen from the grave, he goes fishing. We're so guilty of it. Me and Christine actually talked about that this week. We were going through some stuff, and you could just feel tension in the house, and we knew. And then Friday, we had this thing that came along with something totally different than what we'd been dealing with all week. And we were like, man, we're not one of those people who see the devil behind every corner. But we're like, man, the devil was just jabbing, 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 trying to weaken. Because anybody knows about boxing, you jab, jab, uppercut. The uppercut came in a totally different direction. The best boxers are the ones that can jab, 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 come with the other hand and uppercut. The issue we'd been dealing with all week that were just jabs had nothing to do with the uppercut that came Friday. And I, we kind of handled it good for a little bit. And I looked at Kristen and I said, I've got to ask you a question. I said, don't get offended by this. And I said, because I'm going to go ahead and confess to you, I'm not doing good either. I said, how's your personal time with God right now? How's your prayer time? How's your Bible reading? I'm not getting on to you. I said, I'm not good there either. It, it, it's funny. Man, when we're not walking with Jesus, we open up a hole in our life for the devil to come along and put doubts in our mind, guilt in our mind, bitterness in our mind. <laughs> How's your one-on-one -on -one time? When's the last time you opened up your Bible and just read it? Bible app, boom, on your phone, five minutes. I don't know where to start. Bull crap. There's a Bible app on your phone. Guess what it's called? The Bible app. It's amazing. Guess what? It probably has 10,000 devotions on every subject. And guess how you find them? It's, it's amazing. You just hit search. And it lists them all. It's like the Bible for idiots. It's amazing. When's the last time you just took five minutes out of your day to get in the Word? How's your personal worship time? If this is the only time of worship you get all week, you're starving yourself. When's the last time you and God just prayed? When was the last time you were just still and listened to the voice of God? When was the last time you and Jesus just hung out? If God has taught me anything over the last year or so, it's the importance of my personal worship. But yet, here's what happens. I'm like a medicated person. Anybody dealt with anybody that has mental illness? And, and you know, they have a mental illness, bipolarism, whatever it is, and they get on medicine? And the medicine's amazing and it helps? Then what do they do? They start feeling better, and they stop taking the medicine. Well, I was feeling better. Well, you were feeling better because you are taking the medicine. You know? They take a mess and they're off the rocker. Man, I, I'm so bad about that with God sometimes, man. Things are going crazy and hectic. And I'm like, oh, i got to get in the prayer. I'm, I'm reading the Bible. Then things are going good, and man. That just gets pushed to the back burner. I quit taking my medicine. I'm not taking care of things like I should be. I'm not handling my routine maintenance, if you will. They tell me that if you don't change your oil in a car, I don't know anything about cars, but they tell me it's not good for your car. They tell me if you don't change your brakes, eventually they, the car won't stop. And stuff you don't think about, just routine maintenance. When your car's running good is when you've got to keep the maintenance going. I always kind of keep my car dirty because I feel like the dirt holds it together and it works really well. And You know, I don't worry about it. But man, we've got to return to Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. <laughs> I love this. A turning point in Peter's life. The turning point in Peter's life was when he went back from fishing and got back in fellowship with Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The minute he's out there and he sees Jesus on the shore and he realizes it's Jesus, he returns to Jesus. He gets past the embarrassment. He gets past the guilt. He gets past the, the feelings of inadequacy. And he goes swimming through the water to get to Jesus. Peter knew he had to get back to Jesus. He couldn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. His life was full of guilt, shame, unforgiveness. He had to get back to Jesus. Some of you today need to get back to Jesus. Have y'all heard that new song? It's some dude, I can't remember his name, Dolly Parton. I just gave it to Phil. I'm trying to get him there. Zach Williams, there was Jesus. Holy smokes. Boom. You need to go download that song. You'll have revival in your car. Who is it? Zach Williams and Dolly Parton, man. Woo. If Dolly, the queen bee's on it, baby, you know it's good. I'm talking about you. Listen, I don't even like Christian music. I'm having a revival driving the other day around town. I play, I play the same song over and over. I was just busting that song out nonstop. Just having a time of returning to Jesus. Some of you need to return to Jesus. Last of all, and I'm done, we're going to go home. We're going to respond to God's call on your life. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I don't, don't miss this and I'm done. Listen, listen, this is so powerful. So powerful. Peter, you denied me three times. Do you love me three times? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Then go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go feed my sheep. In other words, don't miss this, and I'm sorry if you're offended today. Peter, get off your ass and quit feeling guilty and sorry for yourself and get busy doing what I called you to do. I called you to spread the word. I called you to feed my sheep. I called you to feed my lamb. I called you to run a clothing closet. I called you to run a food pantry. I called you to greet people as they walked in the door. I, 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 I called you to, to run a warming shelter. I called you to work with addicts. Yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you blew it. But are we going to sit around and wallow it like a pig does in the slop? Or are we going to get busy doing what God called us to do? The devil, the devil loves... The devil loves for you to wallow in your shame. He loves for you to wallow in your guilt. He loves for you not to forgive yourself. Because as long as you're feeling sorry and unforgiveness for yourself, you're not doing what God called you to do. Godly, the devil's a genius. If I was the devil... I'd make guilt consume all of you. I'd remind you of your past all the time. I'd throw up all your mistakes in your face all the time. Every time I thought you were coming out of it, I'd send you a curveball that reminds you of it. Because I know as long as you're focused on that, you're not focused on the mission of God. And if you're not focused on the mission of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't being carried out. And I'd be a genius because I was the devil. Oh, I think that's how he already operates. The church world, the church world is the only world where when one of us gets hurt, we do one of two things. We either take them out back and shoot them, or we stick them on the sideline forever. Well, I mean, I know he wants to serve in this area, but do you know what he did 10 years ago? No, what? It was bad. I'll never forget when I lost everything. I had a pastor who I really respected came to me, and he looked at me, and he said, uh, you need to understand something. 
I, I can remember, matter of fact, Christine, I went to a family reunion recently, and I drove by the Starbucks, and I said, right at that Starbucks, right there sitting in that chair, the man I loved more than anybody in ministry looked at me and said, not, I love you, not, I'm here for you, not, man, God forgives. He said, man, you need to realize you'll never be in ministry again. Now, you need to understand, that ministry was my whole life at that time. There's nothing worse you could have ever said to me. I thought my life was over. You'll never be in ministry again. Then the second man, who was the most meaningful man in my life, mentor-wise, called me and said, do you feel like God's done with me? I said, I know God's not done with me. I've screwed up. I get it. And this is what he said. I'll never forget. He said, you need to give it seven years. Oh, okay. So I'm like, man, there's got to be some reason. Why? Seven years. Like, what's the biblical reason? Like, I got... Whatever God says. Just seems like a good number to me. Huh? So you're telling me, man, I screwed up and I messed up. Don't get me wrong. I realize I got to get some healing and I got to get some things figured out. I mean, you're telling me I got to go stand on the sideline for seven years because you pulled it out of your butt? Like, I don't get, did I just do that? That was disgusting. That's horrible. But that's what I thought of as advice. He shared a story, so I'm not gossiping about him. First time Grady ever walked through those doors. I said, man, how you doing? Because no offense to all y'all, y'all can tell y'all ain't right with God. I was like, man, what's wrong with this dude? He looks like he should be in church somewhere. He looked normal, like a Christian, I'm like y'all. I said, man, how you doing? I'm good, my name's Grady. I said, okay. He said, uh, yeah, for the next hour and a half, I'm the pastor at Second Baptist so-and-so. They're going to announce my resignation today. And someone told me I should come here. I looked at him and said, man, that sucks. You need to know God's not done with you. Then about three months had went by and everybody was bashing him all over the line. I said, I need a Sunday off. You want to preach? He said, you know what happened if you let me preach? I said, I preach every week. Trust me, I know what happened. <laughs> Why was I going to put him on the sideline? He needed to be able to forgive himself like God had already forgiven him. And he can't forgive himself if he's not living out his calling and his purpose. Forgive yourself and get busy living. God created you for a purpose. When you're walking in the Spirit and you're doing what you're called to do, you aren't focused on what you already did in the past. 